And now, the conclusion of Streams of Silver, Chapter 23, The Broken Helm. Air rolled across its black wings like the continuous rumble of distant thunder as the dragon swept out of the passageway and into Garum's gorge, using the same exit that Drizzt and Entreri had passed just a few moments before. The two, a few dozen yards higher on the wall, held perfectly still, not even daring to breathe. They knew that the Dark Lord of Mithril Hall had come. The black cloud that was Shimmergloom rushed by them, unnoticing, and soared down the length of the chasm. Drizzt, in the lead, scrambled up the side of the gorge, clawing at the stone to find whatever holds he could and trusting to them fully in his desperation. He had heard the sounds of battle far above him when he first entered the chasm, and knew that even if his friends had been victorious thus far, they would soon be met by a foe mightier than anything they had ever faced. Drizzt was determined to stand beside them, and Jerry matched the drow's pace, wanting to keep close to him, though he hadn't yet formulated his exact plan of action. Wolfgar and Caterbury supported each other as they walked. Regis kept beside Bruner, concerned for the dwarf's wounds, even if the dwarf was not. "'Keep your worries for your own hide, rumblebelly!' He kept snapping at the halfling, though Regis could see that the depth of Bruner's gruffness had diminished." The dwarf seemed somehow embarrassed for the way he'd acted earlier. Me wounds'll heal. Don't you be thinking you've gotten rid of me so easy. There'll be time for looking to them once we've put this place behind us. Regis had stopped walking, a puzzled expression on his face. Bruner looked back at him, confused too, and wondered if he'd somehow offended the halfling again. Wolfgar and Caterbury stopped behind Regis and waited for some indication of the trouble not knowing what had been said between him and the dwarf. "'What's your grief?' Brunner demanded. Regis was not bothered by anything Brunner had said, nor would the dwarf at all at that moment. It was Shimmergloom that he had sensed, a sudden coldness that had entered the cavern, a foulness that insulted the companion's caring bond with its mere presence. Brunner was about to speak again when he, too, felt the coming of the Dragon of Darkness.' He looked to the gorge just as the tip of the black cloud broke the chasm's rim, far down to the left beyond the bridge, but speeding toward them. Canterbury steered Wolfgar to the side, then he was pulling her with all his speed. Regis scurried back toward the anteroom. Brunner remembered. The Dragon of Darkness. The ultimately foul monster that had decimated his kin and sent them fleeing for the small corridors of the upper level his mithril axe raised, his feet frozen to the stone below them. He waited. The blackness dipped under the arch of the stone bridge, then rose to the ledge. Spear-like talons gripped the rim of the gorge, and Shimmergloom reared up before Bruner in all its horrid splendor, the usurping worm facing the rightful king of Mithril Hall. Bruner! Regis cried, drawing his little mace and turning back to the cavern knowing that the best he could do would be to die beside his doomed friend. Wolfgar threw Caterbury behind him and spun back on the dragon. The worm, eyes locked with the dwarf's unyielding stare, did not even notice Aegis Fang spinning toward it, nor the fearless charge of the huge barbarian. The mighty warhammer struck home against the raven-black scales, but was harmlessly turned away, 
Infuriated that someone had interrupted the moment of its victory, Shimmergloom snapped its glare at Wolfgar, and it breathed. Absolute blackness enveloped Wolfgar and sapped the strength from his bones. He felt himself falling, forever falling, though there seemed to be no stone to catch him. Caterbury screamed and rushed to him, oblivious to her own danger, as she plunged into the black cloud of Shimmergloom's breath. Bruner trembled in outrage for his long-dead kin and for his friend. Get yourself from me home! He roared at Shimmergloom, then charged head-on and dove into the dragon, his axe flailing wildly, trying to drive the beast over the edge. The mithril weapon's razored edge had more effect on the scales than the warhammer, but the dragon fought back. A heavy foot knocked Bruner back to the ground, and before he could rise, the whip-like neck snapped down upon him, and he was lifted in the dragon's maw. Regis fell back again, shaking with fear. Bruner, he cried again, this time his words coming out as no more than a whisper. The black cloud dissipated around Caterbury and Wolfgar, but the barbarian had taken the full force of Shimmergloon's insidious venom. He wanted to flee, even if the only route of escape meant plunging headlong over the side of the gorge. The Shadowhound's baying, though it was still many minutes behind them, closed in upon him. All of his wounds, the crushing of the golem, the nicks the Grey Dwarfs had put into him, hurt him vividly, making him flinch with every step, though his adrenaline of battle had many times before dismissed far more serious and painful injuries. The dragon seemed ten times mightier to Wolfgar, and he couldn't even have brought himself to raise a weapon against it, for he believed in his heart that Shimmergloom could not be defeated. Despair had stopped him where fire and steel had not. He stumbled back with Caterbury toward another room, having no strength to resist her pull. Bruner felt his breath blasted out as the terrible maw crunched into him. He stubbornly held on to the axe and even managed a swing or two. Caterbury pushed Wolfgar through the doorway and into the shelter of the small room, then turned back to the fight in the cavern. "'You bastard son of a demon lizard!' she spat, and she set Talmaril into motion. Silver-streaking arrows blasted holes into Shimmergloom's black armor. When Canterbury understood the measure of the effectiveness of her weapon, she grasped at a desperate plan. Aiming her neck shots at the monster's feet, she sought to drive it from the ledge. Shimmergloom hopped in pain and confusion as the stinging bolts whistled in. The seething hatred of the dragon's narrowed eyes bore down upon the young brave woman. It spat Bruner's broken form across the floor and roared, no fear, foolish girl. Taste of my breath and know that you are doomed. The black lungs expanded, perverting the intake in air into the foul cloud of despair. Then the stone at the edge of the gorge broke away. Little joy came to Regis when the dragon fell. He managed to drag Bruner back into the anteroom, but had no idea of what to do next. Behind him, the relentless pursuit of the Shadowhounds drew closer. He was separated from Wolfgar and Caterbury, and he didn't dare cross the cavern without knowing if the dragon was truly gone. He looked down at the battered and blood-covered form of his oldest friend, having not the slightest notion of how he might begin to help him, or even if Bruner was still alive. 
only surprise delayed Regis's immediate squeals of joy when Bruner opened his gray eyes and winked. Drizd and Entreri flattened themselves against the wall as the rock slide from the broken ledge tumbled dangerously close. It was over in a moment, and Drizd started up at once, desperate to get to his friends. He had to stop again, though, and wait nervously as the black form of the dragon dropped past him, then recovered quickly and moved back up toward the rim. How? Regis asked, gawking at the dwarf. Bruner shifted uncomfortably and struggled to his feet. The mithril male had held against the dragon's bite, though Bruner had been squeezed terribly and bore rows of deep bruises and probably a host of broken ribs for the experience. The tough dwarf was still very much alive and alert, though dismissed the considerable pain for the more important matter before him, the safety of his friends. "'Where is the boy? And Caterbury!' he pressed immediately, the background howls of the shadowhounds accentuating the desperation of his tone. Another room, Regis answered, indicating the area to the right beyond the door of the cavern. Cut, Bruner shouted. How do you fare? After a stunned pause, for Caterbury too had not expected to hear Bruner's voice, she called back. Wolfgar's gone for the fight, I fear. A dragon's spell, for all I can make it. But for meself, I'm for leaving. The dogs'll be here sooner than I like. Aye agreed Bruner, clutching at the twinge of pain in his side when he yelled. "'But have you seen the worm?' "'No, nor heard the beast,' came the uncertain reply. Bruner looked to Regis. "'It fell, and has been gone since,' the halfling answered the questioning stare, equally unconvinced that Shimmergloom had been defeated so easily. "'Not a choice to us, then,' Bruner called out. "'We're to make for the bridge.' Can you bring the boy? It's his heart for fighting that's been bruised no more, replied Caterbury. We'll be along. Bruner clasped Regis's shoulder, lending support to his nervous friend. Let's be going, then, he roared in his familiar voice of confidence. Regis smiled in spite of his dread at the sight of the old Bruner again. Without further coaxing, he walked beside the dwarf out of the room. Even as they took the first step toward the gorge, the black cloud that was Shimmergloom again crested the rim. "'You see it?' cried Caterbury. Bruner fell back into the room, viewing the dragon all too clearly. Doom closed in all around him, insistent and escapable. Despair denied his determination. Not for himself, for he knew that he had followed the logical course of his fate in coming back to Mithril Hall a destiny that had been engraved upon the fabric of his very being from the day his kin had been slaughtered. But his friends should not perish this way. Not the halfling, who always before could find an escape from every trap. Not the boy, with so many glorious adventures left before him upon his road. And not his girl, Caterbury, his own beloved daughter, the only light that had truly shone in the minds of Clan Battlehammer in Icewind Dale. The fall of the drought alone, willing companion and dearest friend, had been too high a price for his selfish daring. The loss that faced him now was simply too much for him to bear. His eyes darted around the small room. There had to be an option. If ever he had been faithful to the gods of the dwarves, he asked them now to grant him this one thing. Give him an option. There was a small curtain against one of the room's walls, 
Bruner looked curiously at Regis. The halfling shrugged. A storage area, he said. Nothing of value, not even a weapon. Bruner wouldn't accept the answer. He dashed through the curtain and started tearing through the crates and sacks that lay within. Dried food, pieces of wood, an extra cloak, a skin of water, a keg of oil. Shimmergloom swooped back and forth along the length of the gorge, waiting to meet the intruders on his own terms in the open cavern and confident that the Shadowhounds would flush them out. Drizzt had nearly reached the level of the dragon, pressing on in the face of peril with no other concerns than those he felt for his friends. Hold! And Trevi called to him from a short distance below. Are you so determined to get yourself killed? Damn the dragon! Drizzt hissed back. I'll not cower in the shadows and watch my friends be destroyed. There is value in dying with them, came the sarcastic reply. You're a fool, Drow. Your worth outweighs that of your pitiful friends. Pitiful? Drizzt echoed incredulously. It is you that I pity, assassin. The Drow's disapproval stung Entreri more than he would have expected. Then pity yourself, he shot back angrily. For you are more akin to me than you care to believe. If I do not go to them... Your words will hold the truth, Driz continued, more calmly now. For then my life will be of no value, less even than your own. Beyond my embrace of the heartless emptiness that rules your world, my entire life would then be no more than a lie. He started up again, fully expecting to die, but secure in his realization that he was indeed very different from the murderer that followed him. Secure, too, in the knowledge that he had escaped his own heritage. Bruner came back through the curtain, a wild smirk upon his face, an oil-soaked cloak slung over his shoulder, and the keg tied to his back. Regis looked upon him in complete confusion, though he could guess enough of what the dwarf had in mind to be worried for his friend. "'What are you looking at?' Bruner said with a wink. "'You are crazy!' Regis replied, Bruner's plan coming into clearer focus the longer he studied the dwarf. Aye, we agreed on that afore our road ever began, snorted Bruner. He calmed suddenly, the wild glimmer mellowing to a caring concern for his little friend. You deserve better than what you've been given, Rumblebelly, he said, more comfortable than he had ever been in an apology. Never have I known a more loyal friend than Bruner Battlehammer. Regis replied. Bruner pulled the gem-studded helmet from his head and tossed it to the halfling, confusing Regis even more. He reached around to his back and loosened the strap fastened between his pack and his belt and took out his old helm. He ran a finger over the broken horn, smiling in remembrance of the wild adventures that had given this helm such a battering. Even the dent where Wolfgar had hit him those years ago when first they met as enemies. Bruner put the helm on, more comfortable with its fit, and Regis saw him in the light of old friend. Keep the helm safe, Bruner told Regis. It's the crown of the king of Mithril Hall. Then it is yours, Regis argued, holding the crown back out to Bruner. Nay, not by me right or me choice. Mithril Hall is no more, Rumble Regis. 
Brunor of Icewind Dale, I am, and have been for two hundred years, though me head's too thick to know it. Forgive me, old bones, he said. Sure me thoughts have been walking in me past and me future. Regis nodded and said with genuine concern, What are you going to do? Mind to your own part in this, Brunor snorted, suddenly the snarling leader once more. You'll have enough getting yourself from these cursed halls when I'm through. He growled threateningly at the halfling to keep him back, then moved swiftly, pulling a torch from the wall and dashing through the door of the cavern before Regis could even make a move to stop him. The dragon's black form skimmed the rim of the gorge, dipping low beneath the bridge and returning to its patrolling level. Brunner watched it for a few moments to get the feel for the rhythm of its course. You're mine, worm! He snarled under his breath, and then he charged. Here's one from your tricks, boy! He cried at the room holding Wolfgar and Caterbury. But when me minds to jumpin' on the back of a worm, I ain't about to miss. Brunner! Caterbury screamed when she saw him running out toward the gorge. It was too late. Brunner put the torch to the oil-soaked cloak and raised his mithril axe high before him. The dragon heard him coming and swerved in closer to the rim to investigate, and was as amazed as the dwarf's friends when Brunner, his shoulder and back aflame, leaped from the edge and streaked down upon it. Impossibly strong, as though all of the ghosts of Clan Battlehammer had joined their hands with Brunner's upon the weapon handle and lent him their strength, the dwarf's initial blow drove the mithril axe deep into Shimmergloom's back. Brunner crashed down behind, but held fast to the embedded weapon, even though the keg of oil broke apart with the impact and spewed flames all across the monster's back. Shimmergloom shrieked out in outrage and swerved wildly, even crashing into the stone wall of the gorge. Brunner would not be thrown. Savagely, he grasped the handle, waiting for the opportunity to tear the weapon free and drive it home again. Caterbury and Regis rushed to the edge of the gorge, helplessly calling out to their doomed friend. Wolfgar, too, managed to drag himself over, still fighting the black depths of despair. When the barbarian looked upon Brunner, sprawled amid the flames, he roared away the dragon's spell, and without the slightest hesitation, launched Aegis Fang. The hammer caught Shimmergloom on the side of its head, and the dragon swerved again in its surprise, clipping the other wall of the gorge. "'Are you mad?' Caterbury yelled at Wolfgar. "'Take up your bow,' Wolfgar told her. "'If a true friend of Brunner's ye be, then let him not fall in vain.' Aegis Fang returned to his grasp, and he launched it again, scoring a second hit. Caterbury had to accept the reality. She could not save Brunner from the fate that he had chosen. Wolfgar was right. She could aid the dwarf in gaining his desired end. Blinking away the tears that came to her, she took Talmaril in hand and sent silver bolts at the dragon. Both Drizzt and Entreri watched Brunner's leap in utter amazement. Cursing his helpless position, Drizzt surged ahead, nearly to the rim. He shouted out for his remaining friends, but in the commotion and with the roaring of the dragon, they could not hear. And Trary was directly below him. The assassin knew that his last chance was upon him, though he risked losing the only challenge he'd ever found in his life. As Drizzt scrambled for his next hold, and Trary grabbed his ankle and pulled him down. 
Oil found its way in through the seams in Shimmergloom's scales, carrying the fire to the dragon's flesh. The dragon cried out in pain it never believed it could know. The thud of the warhammer, the constant sting of those streaking lines of silver, and the dwarf, relentless in his attacks, somehow oblivious to the fires. Shimmergloom tore along the length of the gorge, dipping suddenly, then swooping back up and rolling over and about. Caterby's arrows found it in every turn, and Wolfgar, wiser with each of his strikes, sought the best opportunities to throw the warhammer, waiting for the dragon to cut by a rocky outcropping in the wall, then driving the monster into the stone with the force of his throw. Flames, stone, and dust flew wildly with each thunderous impact. Brunner held on, singing out to his father and his kin beyond that. The dwarf absolved himself of his guilt, content that he had satisfied the ghosts of his past and given his friends a chance for survival. He didn't feel the bite of the fire nor the bump of the stone. All he felt was the quivering of the dragon's flesh below his blade and the reverberations of Shimmergloom's agonized cries. Drizzt tumbled down the face of the gorge, desperately scrambling for some hold. He slammed onto a ledge twenty feet below the assassin and managed to stop his descent. And Trary nodded his approval and his aim, for the drow had landed just where he had hoped. Farewell, trusting fool, he called down to Drizzt, and he started up the wall. Drizzt never had trusted in the assassin's honor, but he had believed in Entreri's pragmatism. This attack made no practical sense. Why? he called back to Entreri. You could have had the pendant without recourse. The gem is mine, Entreri replied. But not without a price, Driz declared. You know that I will come after you, assassin. Entreri looked down at him with an amused grin. Do you not understand, Drizduan? That is exactly the purpose. The assassin quickly reached the rim and peered above it. To his left, Wolfgar and Caterbury continued their assault on the dragon. To his right, Regis stood enamored of the scene, completely unaware. The halfling's surprise was complete, his face blanching in terror when his worst nightmare rose up before him. Regis dropped the gem-studded helm and went limp with fear as Entreri silently picked him up and started for the bridge. Exhausted, the dragon tried to find another method of defense. Its rage and pain had carried it too far into the battle, though. It had taken too many hits, and still the silver streaks bit into it again and again. Still, the tireless dwarf twisted and pounded his axe into its back. One last time, the dragon cut back in mid-flight, trying to snake its neck around so that it could at least take vengeance upon the cruel dwarf. It hung motionless for just a split second, and Aegis Fang took it in the eye. The dragon rolled over in blinding rage, lost in a dizzying swirl of pain, headlong into a jutting portion of the wall. The explosion rocked the very foundations of the cavern, nearly knocking Caterbury from her feet, and drizzed from his precarious perch. One final image came to Brunner, a sight that made his heart leap one more time in victory, the piercing gaze of Driz Duarden's lavender eyes bidding him farewell from the darkness of the wall. 
Broken and beaten, the flames consuming it, the dragon of darkness glided and spun, descending into the deepest blackness it would ever know, a blackness from which there could be no return, the depths of Garum's gorge, and bearing with it the rightful king of Mithril Hall. Chapter 24 Eulogy for Mithril Hall The burning dragon drifted lower and lower, the light of the flames slowly diminishing to a mere speck at the bottom of Garum's gorge. Drizzt scrambled up over the ledge and came up beside Caterbury and Wolfgar, Caterbury holding the gem-studded helm and both of them staring helplessly across the chasm. The two of them nearly fell over in surprise when they turned to see their drow friend returning from the grave. Even the appearance of Artemis and Treri had not prepared Wolfgar and Caterbury for the sight of Drizzt. How? Wolfgar gasped, but Drizzt cut him short. The time for explanations would come later. They had more urgent business at hand. Across the gorge, right next to the lever hooked to the bridge, stood Artemis and Treri holding Regis by the throat before him and grinning wickedly. The ruby pendant now hung around the assassin's neck. Let him go, Drizzt said evenly. As we agreed, you have the gem. And Treri laughed and pulled the lever. The stone bridge shuddered, then broke apart, tumbling into the darkness below. Drizzt had thought that he was beginning to understand the assassin's motivations for this treachery, reasoning now that Entreri had taken Regis to ensure pursuit, continuing his own personal challenge with Drizzt. But now with the bridge gone, and no apparent escape open before Drizzt and his friends, and the incessant baying of the shadowhounds growing closer at their backs, the drow's theories didn't seem to hold up. Angered by his confusion, he reacted quickly. Having lost his own bow back at the alcove, Drizzt grabbed Tolmerol from Caterbury and fitted an arrow. And Treri moved just as fast. He rushed to the ledge, scooped Regis up by an ankle, and held him by one hand over the edge. Wolfgar and Caterbury sensed the strange bond between Drizzt and the assassin, and knew that Drizzt was better able to deal with this situation. They moved back a step and held each other close. Drizzt kept the bow steady and cocked, his eyes unblinking as he searched for the only lapse in Entreri's defense. Entreri shook Regis dangerously and laughed again. The road to Calimport is long indeed, Drow. You shall have your chance to catch up with me. You have blocked our escape, Drizzt retorted. A necessary inconvenience, explained Entreri. Surely you will find your way through this, even if your other friends do not. And I will be waiting. I will come, Drizzt promised. You do not need the halfling to make me want to hunt you down, foul assassin. Tis true, said Entreri. He reached into his pouch, pulled out a small item, and tossed it into the air. It twirled up above him, then dropped. He caught it just before it passed beyond his reach and would have fallen into the gorge. He tossed it again. Something small, something black. And Trevi tossed it a third time, teasingly, the smile widening across his face as Drizzt lowered the bow. Gwenhyver, I do not need the halfling. And Trevi stated flatly, and he held Regis farther out over the chasm. Drizzt dropped the magical bow behind him but kept his glare locked upon the assassin. And Trevi pulled Regis back to the ledge. But 
My master demands the right to kill this little thief. Lay your plans, drow, for the hounds draw near. Alone you stand a better chance. Leave those two and live. Then come, drow, finish our business. He laughed one more time and spun away into the darkness of the final tunnel. He's out then, said Caterbury. Brunner's named that passage as a straight run to the door out of the holes. Driz looked all around, trying to find some means to get them across the chasm. By Brunner's own words, there is another way, Caterbury offered. She pointed down to her right toward the south end of a cavern. A ledge, she said, but hours of walking. Then run, replied Drizzt, his eyes still fixed upon the tunnel across the gorge. By the time the three companions reached the ledge, the echoes of howls and specks of light far to the north told them that the Dorgar and the Shadowhounds had entered the cavern. Drizzt led them across the narrow walkway, his back pressed against the wall as he inched his way toward the other side. All the gorge lay open before him, and the fire still burned below, a grim reminder of the fate of his bearded friend. Perhaps it was fitting that Brunner died here, in the home of his ancestors, he thought. Perhaps the dwarf had finally satisfied that yearning that had dictated so much of his life. The loss remained intolerable to Driz, though. His years with Brunner had shown him a compassionate and respected friend, a friend he could rely upon at any time in any circumstance. Driz could tell himself over and over that Brunner was satisfied, that the dwarf had climbed his mountain and won his personal battle, but in the terrible immediacy of his death, those thoughts did little to dispel the drow's grief. Caterbury blinked away more tears, and Wolfgar's sigh belied his stoicism when they moved out across the gorge that had become Brunner's grave. To Caterbury, Brunner was father and friend, who taught her toughness and touched her with tenderness. All of the constants in her world, her family and home, lay burning far below on the back of a hell-spawned dragon. A numbness descended over Wolfgar, the cold chill of mortality, and the realization of how fragile life could be. Drizzt had returned to him, but Brunner was gone. Above any emotions of joy or grief came a wave of instability, a tragic rewriting of heroic images and bard-sung legends that he had not expected. Brunner had died with courage and strength, and the story of his fiery leap would be told and retold a thousand times but it would never fill the void that Wolfgar felt at that moment. They made their way across to the chasm's other side and raced back to the north to get to the final tunnel to be free of the shadows of Mithril Hall. When they came again into the wide end of the cavern, they were spotted. Durgar shouted and cursed at them. The great black shadowhounds roared their threats and scratched at the lip at the other side of the gorge. But their enemies had no way to get at them, short of going all the way around to the ledge, and Drizzt stepped unopposed into the tunnel that Entreri had entered a few hours earlier. Wolfgar followed, but Caterbury paused at the entrance and looked back across the gorge at the gathered host of grey dwarfs. "'Come,' Drizzt said to her, "'there is nothing that we can do here, and Regis needs our help.' Caterbury's eyes narrowed, and the muscles in her jaw clenched tightly as she fitted an arrow to her bow and fired." The silver streak whistled into the crowd of Dorgar and blasted one from life, sending the others scurrying for cover. Nothing now, 
Caterbury replied grimly. But I'll be coming back. Let the grey dogs know it for the truth. I'll be back. Epilogue Drizzed, Wolfgar, and Caterbury came into Longsaddle a few days later, road-weary and still wrapped in a shroud of grief. Harkle and his kin greeted them warmly and invited them to stay at the Ivy Mansion for as long as they desired. But though all three of them would have welcomed the opportunity to relax and recover from the trials, other roads summoned them. Drizzd and Wolfgar stood at the exit of Longsaddle the very next morning, with fresh horses provided by the Harples. Caterbury walked down to them slowly, Harkle holding back a few steps behind her. "'Will you come?' Drizzd asked, but guessed by her expression that she would not. "'Would that I could,' Caterbury replied. "'You'll get to the halfling, I don't fear. I've another vow to fulfill.' "'When?' Wolfgar asked. "'In the spring be me guess,' said Caterbury. "'The magic of the Harples has set the thing to going. "'Already they've called out to the clan in the Dale "'and to Harbrum in Citadel Adbar. "'Bruno's kin will be marching out afore the week's end, "'with many allies from ten towns. "'Harbrum promises eight thousand, "'and some of the Harples have pledged their help.' Drizzt thought of the undercity he had viewed in his passage at the lower levels, and of the bustle of thousands of grey dwarves all outfitted in shining mithril. Even with all of Clan Battlehammer and their friends from the Dale, eight thousand battle-seasoned dwarves from Adbar, and the magical powers of the Harples, the victory would be hard won if won at all. Wolfgar also understood the enormity of the task that Caterbury would face, and doubt came to him about his decision to set out with Drizzt. Regis needed him, but he could not turn away from Caterbury in her need. Caterbury sensed his torment. She walked up to him and kissed him, suddenly, passionately, then jumped back. "'Get your business done and over, Wolfgar, son of Bjornagar,' she said, "'and get you back to me.' "'I, too, was Brunner's friend,' Wolfgar argued. "'I, too, shared in his vision of Mithril Hall. "'I should be beside you when you go in to honor him.' You've a friend alive that needs you now, Caterbury snapped at him. I can set the plans to going. You get yourself after Regis. Pay and Cherry all he's got coming and be quick. Mightn't be that you'll come back in time to march to the halls. She turned to Drizzt, a most trusted hero. Keep him safe for me, she pleaded. Show him a straight road and show him the way back. On Drizzt's nod, she spun and ran back up to Harkle and toward the Ivy Mansion. Wolfgar did not follow. He trusted in Canterbury. For the halfling and the cat, he said to Drizzt, clasping Aegis Fang and surveying the road before him. Sudden fires glowed in the drow's lavender eyes, and Wolfgar took an involuntary step back. And for other reasons, Drizzt said grimly, looking out over the wide Southland that held the monster he might have become. It was his destiny to meet Entrarian battle again, he knew, the test of his own worth to defeat the killer, for other reasons. Dendibar's breath came hard to him as he viewed the scene, Sidney's corpse stuffed into the corner of a dark room. The specter, Morkai, waved his arm and the image was replaced by a view of the bottom of Garum's gorge. No! Dendibar screamed when he saw the remains of the golem, headless and lying among the rubble. The mottled wizard shook visibly. "'Where is the drow?' he demanded of the specter. 
Mordecai waved the image away and stood silent, pleased at Dendabar's distress. "'Where is the drow?' Dendabar repeated more loudly. Mordecai laughed at him. "'Find your own answers, foolish mage. My service to you is ended.' The apparition puffed into fire and was gone. Dendabar leaped wildly from his magic circle and kicked the burning brazier over. I shall torment you a thousand times for your insolence, he yelled into the emptiness of the room. His mind spun with the possibilities. Sidney dead, Bach dead, and Trary, the drow and his friends. Dendabar needed answers. He could not forsake his search for the crystal shard, could not be denied the power he sought. Deep breaths steadied him as he concentrated on the beginnings of a spell. He saw the bottom of the gorge again, brought the image into sharp focus within his mind. As he chanted through the ritual, the scene became more real, more tangible. Dendabar experienced it fully, the darkness, the hollow emptiness of the shadowy halls, and the almost imperceptible swish of air running through the ravine, the jagged hardness of the broken stone under his feet. He stepped out of his thoughts and into Garum's gorge. Bach, he whispered as he stared down at the twisted and broken form of his creation, his greatest achievement. The thing stirred. A rock rolled away from it and it shifted and struggled to rise before its creator. Dendibar watched in disbelief, amazed that the magical strength he had imbued upon the golem was so resilient as to survive such a drop and such mutilation. Bach stood in front of him, waiting. Dendabar studied the thing for a long moment, pondering how he might begin to restore it. Bach, he greeted it emphatically, a hopeful grin coming to him. Come, my pet, I shall take you back home and mend your wounds. Bach took a step forward, crowding Dendabar against the wall. The wizard, still not understanding, started to order the golem away. Bach's remaining arm shot up and grasped Dendibar by the throat, lifting him into the air and choking off any further commands. Dendibar grabbed and flailed at the arm, helplessly and confused. A familiar laugh came to his ears. A ball of fire appeared above the torn stump of the golem's neck, transforming into a familiar face. Morkai. Dendibar's eyes bulged in terror. He realized he had overstepped his limits, had summoned the specter too many times. He had never fully dismissed Morkai from this last encounter, and suspected rightly that he probably wouldn't be strong enough to push the specter from the material plane even if he had tried. Now, outside of his magical circle of protection, he was at the mercy of his nemesis. Come, Dendibar. Morkai grinned, his dominating will twisting the golem's arm. Join me in the realm of death, where we might discuss your treachery. A snap of bone echoed across the stones. The ball of fire puffed away, and the wizard and golem tumbled down, lifeless. Farther down the gorge, half buried in a pile of debris, the fires of the burning dragon had died to a smoky smolder. Another rock shifted and rolled away. Thanks to everybody who has continued on this journey with me. It's been a roller coaster, and fortunately for all of us, it's not over. We will be starting the Halfling's Gem very soon. 
I'd also like to thank all the people who have taken the time to send me a quick message. They really, really mean a lot. I love hearing what you enjoy about the podcast and the stories. I do these stories because I love the books, and I know that you guys love the books too, and that's what makes it fun. Also, uh, tomorrow, which will be Sunday if you're listening to these podcasts live, I have a special announcement to make. So stick around, and tomorrow another podcast episode will be coming out, but it's just an announcement. It's not going to be the Halflings Gem. That is a week away. Thanks again, everybody. This has been Russ Johnson. Safe travels.